You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. Anybody know who Willie Lynch was? Anybody? Raise your hand. He was a vicious slave owner in the West Indies. The slave masters in the colony of Virginia were having trouble controlling their slaves, so they sent for Mr. Lynch to teach them his methods. Keep the slave physically strong, but psychologically weak and dependent on the slave master. Keep the body, take the mind. I and every other professor on this campus are here to help you to find, take back, and keep your righteous mind. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, and welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. I have a special guest co-host, Oshun Ojo, returns as she's now part of the Queens of Intellect. Glad to have you with me this morning, Queen. How are you doing? Good morning, good morning. So happy to be here with an awesome discussion that you have um, on schedule today. Thank you for having me. No, glad to have you back. Um, as I as I told you when I asked you to join the Queens of Intellect, I always like to make sure I have a, a specifically a black woman's point of view on every show that we do, you know, keeping us brothers in check. You know, sometimes we think we, 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 we know it all, and that ain't always the case. We need our queens to come in here and make sure we, we're putting this thing in perspective. So, again, just glad to have you as a, a part of our team going forward. So for all of you listeners out there, um, as you come to know, Oshun, you will see that she's quite brilliant in, in her own right. Uh, but with that said, Queen, if you will, let people, again, you've been on the show not too long ago, but give people a little bit of your background so they, they understand why you've been added to the Queens of Intellect. Um, my name is Oshun Ojo. I am a wife, a mother, um, a lifelong community activist, Um and um, I met uh, Montoya online. We had a few, a couple of debates <laughs> online, and um, and uh, very similar interests and, and very similar um, ideologies. I think life ideologies, but also some conflicting stuff. But you said you, the sisters are here to to keep y'all in check, but we're here to keep you balanced. Nobody is interested in, in checking nobody. No, um, I love it. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Now go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead if you will give it a little bit of. Oh no, no, I'm done. Okay, that nah, sounds good. Well, I love love the introduction. We also have a special guest on the line with us as well. I'm going to go ahead and bring that brother live. Chef Ring L, I hope I'm standing correctly, brother. If you will, please correct me. I know you work in the barbershop for everybody out there listening. You may have some background noise from my special guest, but we're going to make this work this morning. Um, at the end of the day, it's about what we can uh, accomplish. Um, how you doing, King? You available? Yeah, 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 yeah. I appreciate it. Um that man inviting me on the show. You know what I mean? Yeah, you got my name correct. And, you know, man, Montoya, you've been talking for a couple months, you know, different conversations. You know, he come on our pseudo-killer show, you know, and he always bring a, a good perspective. I like I like the way he conversates, so I'm always down to have a um, conversation on his show. But how are you doing this morning? No, absolutely, absolutely. Again, um, this brother represents – 
representing those pseudo killers. Again, I actually called into your show this week, and you so happened to be talking about some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, but what I'm going to do, brother, just so you know, I'm going to try to mute you in and out. And so if I miss you a couple of times, just understand when you don't hear yourself, I'm going to mute you in and out because I know you're in the barbershop. But we're going to make this thing work. Yeah. Thank you for sitting on with us this morning, King. All right. All right, sounds good. Let's go ahead and get this thing started. Uh, Oshun, you being our queen this morning, we're going to let you get started the way we love to start the show, which is basically just getting the first thought when you hear heard the question worded the way that it is this morning. And our special, and our and for those first time listeners, we definitely um, again I go by the name Black Socrates, so I take in a sense the Socratic approach to any of these discussions that we have on the show every Saturday, and so I always put them in the form of a question. So this morning's uh, discussion question is: Does it matter how African Americans psychologically view Africa? Does it matter how African-Americans psychologically view Africa? And so with that being the discussion question this morning, Queen, if you will, can you think of your first thought when I said, hey, Queen, can you help me out with this show? Do you recall what your first thought was when you heard that question? Oh, I had a a range of thoughts and emotions, but um, I guess the most prominent one was it it doesn't just matter. Our Our livelihood depends on it. All right, love the first thought. Again, we just keep it quick with that initial thought. Um, Shepherd, if you will, King, again, I'm going to bring you back live, and I'm going to kind of ask you that very same question. I reached out to you late last night, and, you know, we recognize, hey, we're going to make this work even with you in the barbershop. But with that said, um, King, I'm going to kind of pose that very same question to you. I just want your first thought without going too deep. We all got we got to break it in the next five minutes, so we'll kind of dive into this a little bit before the break. But initially, I just want your first thought on the question. So when you hear it that way, does it matter how African-Americans psychologically view Africa? Uh, Shepherd, what, if you will, King, what was your first thought to hearing that question? Um, well, uh, you know, it's, 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 for me, it's a layered question, but initially um, it depends on whether you're pan-African. You know what I mean? If for pan-African, yes, it matters. But for, I think, uh, African-American can get through the world and through life comfortably as an African American without having a, a African identity or anything like that. I think the world is conducive enough um, for Africans abroad to be able to be um, fully immersed into their uh, current society and be fine. So, now nah, I love the thoughts, and that's what we want to do. Yeah. We definitely want to delve into this again for first-time listeners. We always try to pretty much involve not only all the perspectives, but we want your your perspectives as well. So I'm going to go ahead and give out the number early this morning in case others want to get in on this thoughts. Again, you've heard the initial thoughts of our special guest co-host as well as our special guest. I'll share mine here as well. Uh, but the number to get in this morning is 646-787-1691. Again, that's 646 787 one six nine one. You do have to press one to let us know you want to speak. Uh, but yeah, obviously I put the question together, but I have my initial thoughts as well. Does it matter how African Americans psychologically view Africa? I, I, I think I come along the same lines as Sheffron when he kind of gives two perspectives. And in in my initial thought is, um, I'll say the answer is in the middle. 
and hopefully we'll be able to delve into that as we do this dialogue. I want to challenge some of the common thoughts that are out there. And, and quite often, for those who are long-time listeners, I often say that, that the truth rarely lives on the edges and the answer is in the middle. And so when I say, does it matter, uh, I think there are ways in which it is very important that uh, people of African descent kind of understand and identify how they, in a sense, see the continent of, continent of Africa, if you will, and I also can see people, as Chef said, immerse themselves, people immerse themselves in society and, in a sense, still move forward without necessarily identifying. Because let's be honest, uh, here in, you know, in, in America, if you will, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, I promoted this, the idea of, the, the idea of um, black history is beyond, is happened prior to slavery, if you will. And that thought comes up quite often in, in the American school system because to a degree, sometimes that's all you might be taught, which is not really identifying with our origins, if you will. And so, again, I think there is a purpose in understanding where you come from. I think all societies do it for a reason. We'll get into that coming after the break. So, again, I find some importance in it. However, uh, there are, unfortunately, there there's a, the chances you could go through 12 years of public education in this country and not be exposed to it. And again, some people without that exposure have to figure out a way to navigate. And so I do agree with Shefford in the sense that it can be done. Um, I don't know that it's best. I will throw that out there, but we'll have that dialogue when we come back from break. Again, this morning's discussion question, does it matter how African-Americans psychologically view Africa? We'll be right back. Where all I ask is that you think. Or you try to figure out your next income stream, maybe get into cryptocurrency, real estate, or maybe even start your own business. If so, contact the KG Hire Company to receive a professional consultation or strategy session to provide you the advice you need to get a jump start on your new venture. If it's a new business, there's nothing like having a business consultant review your finances, strategy, or marketing. If it's real estate, the KG Hire Company specializes in evaluating deals for profitability and securing special financing for creative real estate acquisitions. If it's cryptocurrency, then look no further than the KG Hire Company to master the components of blockchain technology and investing into cryptocurrency. Serving Atlanta since 2016, the KG Hire Company is an industry leader in customer experience and getting your money's worth. Contact them at kghire.com or 833-544-9288. Again, that's 833-544-9288. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people for they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Oshun Ojo. Our special guest is 
Sheffron L. This morning's discussion question, does it matter how African-Americans psychologically view Africa? Um, Queen, we're going to start with you. Um, that was the cut from John Henry Clark saying, telling his importance, uh, how, he, how important he see, in a sense sees history in reference to uh, our path, if you will. And so I want to kind of, I want to start there. And before we even really move into the psychology of how we, in a sense, view Africa or how the American media, media uh, in a sense, portrays Africa and what that, how that affects our minds and, you know, that kind of thing. So before we even go there, let's get to the foundation of what we just heard from, you know, John Henry Clark saying, hey, this is an extremely important aspect to, you know, kind of that, 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 that saying of you don't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. So when you hear that cut in reference to today's discussion, uh, what are your thoughts, Queen? Yeah, I think the most important part of what um, Baba said is um, that our history is a direct path to understand where we are going. And I think that's why this conversation is important, because it's not just about understanding history and, you know, oh, we were kings. Um, it is knowing your history is um, paramount to your path forward. So it's not just about, you know, learning what happened in the past. Although I will say that I was reading an article in a psychology magazine recently, and it said they did a study, and that's the number one, one of one of the highest um, indicators of how well a black child does in school is um, having a sense of racial pride. Children that go to African-centered schools and learn their history perform better in school and perform better in life. Um, so, yeah, that was the most important t- my takeaway from what he said is that I think most people just think that history is about learning history, but really um, the whole the whole thing, the whole the whole idea of Pan-Africanism is about a collective movement forward. Now, I respect it. Again, for anybody out there listening, our special guest, Sheffrey L., he's in a barbershop, so we're kind of muting him in and out. Um, so if you hear some background noise, please understand that. But Sheffrey, if you will, King, wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that cut as well. We're going to bring you live right now. Thanks a lot for being with us, King. Oh, yeah. Um, appreciate it. Um, well, I, I think uh, John Henry Clark, um, I love him as a writer and a speaker, um, but I think I think that's the kind of uh, that that's an old uh, way of viewing it um, from my perspective. Um, knowing your history it's one thing, but African-Americans have a unique history. I think knowing the history of, you know, um, African, uh, knowing the history of America and our role in America and, you know, how we got to where we at now is more important than, learn, than learning um, African history because it's all cultural and, you know, it pertains to us and, you know, specifically. You know what I mean? Now, for broader studies, yeah, you can study African history, but I think knowing the um, history of African Americans is more pertinent for um, African Americans. And I just bring no, back over. No, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, um, I think I think you bring up a very important point, Chef, and I'm absolutely interested in what Oshu may have to say about this as well, because I think I can align with that a little bit myself. For the caller out there, just so you know, um, you may, if you're just listening, no problem. But if you do want to get in this morning, you will have to press one. Matter of fact, let me give out the number again for anybody that may be listening online: six four six seven eight seven one six nine. If you want to get in on the discussion, you do have to press one. Again, uh, I think I got Brother P. I'm trying to get in this morning, which is beautiful. Uh, but with that said, let me um, tell you 
to a degree how I align with what I just heard um, Sheffrin say, say. And, um, of course, Queen, definitely want your thoughts on it before we get to Brother Piyaki. And so um, when I hear um, Sheffrin say he thinks that's the, the aspect of what we've done with this unique history, and it is absolutely a unique history because of, unfortunately, what happened um, in a sense uh, through the transatlantic, transatlantic enslavement you know, situation. So we have this unique history. So I would agree that that um, that unfortunately, if you think about John Henry Clark, think about Carter G. Woodson, in a sense being in a sense the father of quote unquote black history in this country. If you think about his work or understand or know Carter G. Woodson's work, uh, one of the things that was important to him was the fact that uh, even in America. Blacks in America or African Americans or however you want to refer to us, he did not know, like kind of to Sheffern's point, didn't even know what had been done to, in a sense, get us to this point. So he went on, in a sense, a personal task to kind of, in a sense, uh, put some of that history in writing because clearly it wasn't being, you know, wasn't being included in the school systems. And we can kind of still say that argument today, even 2021, there's not a lot of additional information where our children have an opportunity to see how they had their hands involved in, in this history. And so because of that being a reality, I think still to this day for um, African-American children, I do agree that, with Sheffrin that that part is important, and I also agree with, with a reference point, and I've seen the study, that was, I don't know if it's the same study, but I've seen studies that have alluded to how successful uh, black children do perform when they do, in a sense, learn their history, whether it be in African-centered schools or maybe parents that have supplemented their, their child's history so that they do have a sense of self. I've seen that play out itself very important too. And uh, the big reason I think those things go hand in hand is because too many of our children uh, don't have access or don't know enough to, in a sense, see that they come from something. When we start moving into the psychology of how we see things, the psychology of not being aware of what you come from can affect how you move forward. And so um, I do agree with Sheffrin that there's an immediate aspect, but I also think we're now getting into the psychology of how we view Africa. We can't be disconnected to it in the broader history. And I'm not suggesting that Sheffrin said we should be disconnected or anything. I'm just highlighting that it, it is, it's a continuum. And I think, Oshun, you said that as well. There's a continuum. And because of the transatlantic enslavement trade, we have lost sight of that continuum, in my opinion. Go ahead, Queen. Oh, Shundi, are you there, Queen? Brother Piyaki, Brother, Brother Piyak, I'm bringing you on real quick. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you loud. And you, you're shaking the glasses, man. Okay, just making sure I don't hear Oshun. I'm just trying to make sure we haven't lost her. Hold on one second. I'll well, bring you try to get her. Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm going to bring you on after her. I'm sorry. I'm here. I'm here. I was I okay, was stuck no on you. My uh, I was just checking. Okay, Queen. I hope. Okay, yeah. Just jump right in. If you you know, I hope you caught most of what I said. We'll get Brother Pianki on real quick. I was just checking to make sure I hadn't lost you. All right, go ahead, Queen. Um, okay. Your thoughts about maybe my what I said or what Shepherd said. And again, I think it is a continuum. I'm not I'm not trying to have those be competing thoughts, but I do agree that there's a level of importance in understanding your immediate history in addition to our origins before coming here. I think it all goes hand to hand and most of our children are missing that in my opinion. Um I don't know if you know Queen, yeah. you have a lot in the background. If you can help that, I don't know if you're able to help that or not. 
I think that's you coming through with the stuff in the background. Is that me? My husband I'm pretty is sure the grass, so that's probably what you hear. Let me try to move away from the window. Okay, maybe. I mean, I'm hearing something in the background pretty heavy. Okay, is that better? Yeah, much better. Go ahead, Queen. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think, and not to to focus this, the, the uh, conversation around Pan-Africanism, but I think um, the discussion that, we, that was had earlier when we were saying, um, you know, if you want to exist as an, an, Ameri- an African-American, it's unnecessarily necessary that you identify um, at all with Africa, that you can move through life basically um, in your own culture. I think it's a little bit short-sighted um, because Pan-Africanism doesn't ask that everyone identify as uh, necessarily culturally African, right? Um, Pan-Africanism is, uh, the, it stresses the need for collective self-reliance. It says that no matter where you are as an African or a descendant of Africa in the world, we want to be able to collectively um, empower African people to exist um, autonomous, autonomously, collectively, and individually. So no matter what you identify as, no matter where you move in the world, um, you have a collective is what I'm saying. Um, but, yeah, definitely for children, um, I really do think it's paramount. I think the studies show that um, – that children perform better, that they, they know themselves better and they perform better, whatever that may be. What the study said is that they studied uh, specifically children that are uh, taught uh, race, racial pride. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm guessing that that would be true for any, whatever your culture is. No, it makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Let me throw this out real quick before we get to Brother Pianchi because I just want to hear y'all thoughts on it. And now I want to get directly into this morning's discussion question, right? Does it matter how African Americans psychologically view Africa? So um, as I've gotten older and, quote, unquote, became conscious, and for me I always tell people that my start was, you know, basically accidentally coming across the, the autobiography of uh, Malcolm X, which is a lot of start, for, especially for for um, black boys or black men, if you will, uh, um, is, you know, that, that a lot of people consider it their, their starting point. And so it was a lot that Malcolm was saying in the autobiography that really made me want to research even more. I was, a, I was, it was just like one of those little history buffs. Even as a child, I enjoyed history. Uh, but growing up in South Carolina, I was exposed to, in a sense, limited history. Uh, so, you, you know, you have to kind of seek it out yourself, which is fine. Nothing wrong with doing that. That's what we, are, in a sense, should do, if you will, right? But anyway, I come across that book, and it made me realize I, too, had very negative views of the continent of Africa, right? The fact that we even refer to the continent of Africa and where that, in a sense, comes from, because we don't refer to other continents, if you will. And so let's get into that starting point. And the starting point for me was prior to reading on Malcolm X, I had very negative views of the continent of Africa, uh, all the way down to, you know, just seeing, as a kid, seeing the... um, the, the, the picture of the children with the big bellies that were hungry and the flies on them and remembering Tarzan, the movie, and loving Tarzan as a little kid. So just going to start getting into that early psychology of I grew up with a negative view of Africa. And I want to see if you, Oshun, as well as um, um, Shefford, if y'all kind of experienced that as children. I don't know your um, particular youth backgrounds, but I know I had a negative view as a child of Africa and wanted to hear y'all thoughts on that as well. Go ahead, um, Oshun, if you will, Queen. Um, I was fortunate in that I was raised in an African-centered home. I, I would, I'm would, i saying African-centered, but no one ever used that word, that terminology with me. It's just that I was mm-hmm. made aware uh, very young that I was an African. Um, my, even though my family is 
uh, traditionally Christian, and my my uh, grandparents were very were activists in their own community. They were big on self reliance and autonomy and self determination, and um, they had a lot of the values that um, uh, you know political organizations of today might teach. And so they they passed those along to my uh, my mom and and her siblings, and who passed it along to me. So I was raised with the, and I was also raised in the South in Texas. Um, in a, a community that was um, traditionally extremely uh, segregated and had a lot of history of, um, you know, racial um, terrorism. Um, and so we had to learn very early. So I was fortunate in that I was raised in um, an upwardly mobile um, environment in which um, black pride and, and um, black history and African pride were um, paramount. However, what, what what was taught to me was very minimal as far as Africa itself. It was just like, you know, uh, you're an African and be proud of that. But there was really nothing else, you know, beyond mm-hmm. that. Um, everything else that I learned was really about what happened in America. Um, okay. But because I was a child, I did, you know, I was, I saw the news and I saw TV and I saw, you know, television shows and, and things like that. And so um, even subconsciously, those images, of course, um, had an impact on my view of Africa. So I would say that um, my foundation was not a negative one, but I'm sure that I grew to have some very negative views as well. No, I respect it. Um, Shepard, I'm going to bring you back in, King. Just wanted to hear your thoughts again as a young child. I definitely, you know, as as an adult, I I, I feel like I had to overcome um, these negative thoughts because I had to learn more about various places. And necessarily, like I said, it's not even history stuff, even the thing you learn now. Like these things stick with you or whatever. So to me, I, I feel like I had to overcome this negative view that I think we, well, we'll see or go, re, typically see in the media, if you will. Your thoughts, um, Chef, and then we're going to go to Brother Pianchi after you. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I, I think uh, I can look at it from both aspects. Um I had a very high view of Africa growing up. Um, my parents was, um, you know, very culturally aware. Okay. I'd say they were the conscious, conscious, they was conscious. They were a conscious group back in the 70s, right? They was a part of oh. a conscious group back in the 70s. So I always had a high view of Africa. Now, was that the same as how the larger African-American society that I was ingrained in or lived around didn't have that same dual Africa. So I can see it from both, you know, mm-hmm. aspects, right? Around my peers and my friends, you know, no, Africa wasn't, you know, put on a pedestal. But in my home and around my family, right, my nuclear circle, it was put on a, a pedestal. So I lived in both worlds, right? Now, mm-hmm. I will say that uh, I feel like, you know, it's not healthy to have a romantic view of African history. And I think that's where we, that's where it's at for the most part when you um, ingrain yourself in uh, current African, Africana studies, right? I think it's an unhealthy romanticism about um, Africa. And I don't, I don't like to deal with that, that aspect of it. I I think that's um, harmful. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's the same thing that uh, led to white supremacy, you know, having um, uh, unhealthy romanticism about um, 
European culture and history making it dominant over other when it's just history, right? We we should be able to look at history as just history and not have a, a romantic uh, um, superiority um, inference put on it. And and I'll leave it at that. We can go further into that. Yeah, we definitely can go further into that. Because I think I, I'll say I'll, I even consider there's some value in the romanticism to a degree based on, and unfortunately, some of the harm that was done. Um, and me and Shepard, you know, you, we, we've talked plenty of times on this type of subject. So, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm after the facts and the reality, too. But when it comes to the psychology, which is where we're trying to take this show, uh, I, I think there's, there can be some value in it to a degree. Um, Brother Pierre, I'm going to get you in. We'll keep you on after the break, too, if you got more to say. But you got a minute and a half to kind of get started on your thoughts. We'll go to break, and we'll keep you on. But thanks for getting on this morning, Kings. Well, I agree with Chef. If you're going to look at it <clears throat> from a 360-degree view, but most of the time people don't look at it from one view. Black kids in America's history is the United States, and it's a lot of it that they are told. We told about the bad, but like one source, blacknews.com, it talks about all the black businesses, young people that's going to school and so on and so on and so on. So it has to be totally around. I disagree when people of black skin come to the United States and take advantage of those programs and affirmative action that was meant for, as the new term I hear, African descendants of slaves. Those was meant for them not to be shared with everybody that comes to this country because their skin is not lily white. So, no, I think that the, the history view should be that of the United States. You know, the things that you hear about Africa, a lot of it is romanticized. We hear about women's babies, pregnant women being, uh, stomachs being cut open, the baby fall on the ground and gets stumped. That happened between the Yoruba and the Igbo in the Biafran Wars. But how many people know that? So I agree with Mr. Chef. All right. No, thanks a lot, Brother Chessy. Well, you know, definitely. I'm about to go to break. If you want to get back in, you know how to do it. You were a long-time listener. For the new listeners that are calling in, I see you on the line. You do have to press 1 if you want to get in on this morning's discussion. We're going to go to a break. This is a cut, if you will, Shefford and Oshun, if you will, uh, King and Queen. Listen to this cut. Some of you, I'm pretty sure you know you for a fact you've heard before, but I want to kind of get into Again, let's go to the psychology, and we can respond to what Brother Pianchi had to say as well coming out of this break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Why should the black man in America uh, concern himself since we've been away from the African continent for 400 years, three or 400 years? Why should we concern ourselves? What impact does what happened to them have upon us? Number one, first you have to realize that up until 19... 59, Africa was dominated by the colonial powers and by the colonial powers of Europe having complete control over Africa, they projected the image of Africa negatively. They projected Africa always in a negative light. Jungles, savages, cannibals, nothing civilized. And then naturally it was so negative until you, it was negative to you and me. And you and I began to hate it. We didn't want anybody to tell us anything about Africa and much less call us an African. Uh, and, and, uh, and in hating Africa and hating the African, we ended up even hating ourselves without even realizing it. Because you can't hate the roots of a tree and not hate the tree. You can't hate your origin and not end up hating yourself. You can't hate Africa and not hate yourself. And you show me one of these people over here who have been thoroughly brainwashed 
who has a negative attitude toward Africa, and I'll show you one that has a negative attitude toward himself. You can't ever, you can't have a negative attitude toward yourself, a positive attitude toward yourself, and a negative attitude toward Africa at the same time. To the same degree that your attitude, that your understanding of an attitude toward Africa becomes positive, you'll find that your understanding of and your attitude toward yourself will also become positive. And this is what the white man knows. So they very skillfully uh, made you and me hate our African identity, our African uh, characteristics. And you know yourself that we have been a people who hated our African characteristics. We hated our hair. We hated the shape of our nose. We wanted one of those long dog-like noses, you know. Yeah. Uh, we hated the color of our skin. Hated the blood of Africa that was in our veins. And in hating our features and our skin and our blood, why we had to end up hating ourselves. And we hated ourselves. Our color became to us a chain. We felt that it was holding us back. Our color came to us, became to us like a prison, which we felt was keeping us confined, not letting us go this way or that way. And we felt that all of these restrictions were based solely upon our color, and the psychological re reaction to that would have to be that as long as we felt imprisoned or chained or trapped by black skin, black features, and black blood, uh, that skin and those features and, and that blood that was holding us back automatically had to become hateful to us. And it became hateful to us. It made us feel inferior. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host. Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Oshun Ojo. This morning's discussion question, does it matter how African-Americans psychologically view Africa? Our special guest is Chef from L and the brothers in that barbershop. So, again, for the, if you're just now tuning in, you may hear some background noise when we bring that brother back on. Uh, but I think it's an amazing place to start. Uh, this, is again, became my, my youth, youthful hero um, after I Telecaster's book in the eighth grade. Some of my eighth going into my eighth grade, and I've read the autobiography three times. I've read a lot of books on Malcolm, and so uh, we know we obviously, in a sense, rely on that ancestor for a lot of our thoughts uh, as well. So he kind of breaks down. I remember, you know, hearing this hearing this speech years ago, and it was kind of the, in for me, the the, the catalyst for understanding the psychology of becoming aware of ways that I may have, in a sense, quote-unquote, hated myself without knowing it, right? You're unconscious of it. And it was like listening to Malcolm started me on the path of finding beauty in myself. Uh, and, again, I think it is, as he said, if if you've had that struggle, not saying everybody has, um, Oshun and Shepherd sounds like y'all have had the background where you never, in a sense, had to overcome this thought process based on the backgrounds y'all shared with us. Uh, but for someone like myself, not again, you know, having a, a family that loved me dearly, so I had the most important aspect of growing up that you could have as a child is love, plenty of love. Uh, but just getting to self identity and really understanding who I was growing up in a, uh, a, 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 a small town in the South, 20% black, but with definitely plenty of racial tension, just as you alluded to, assume. And so it was always a dynamic of understanding where we fit in, quote, unquote, as blacks within that town. And 
Malcolm X made a huge difference in my life by hearing things like this. So, Queen, I'm actually going to start with you again. Um, your thoughts. Again, I think this is the catalyst to what a lot of us as African-Americans or black Americans have to overcome, in my opinion. Not that everybody has to agree with that, but I think that's the start of it. Yeah, um, I think the brother who was calling in was saying earlier he immediately went into a them versus us discussion, which was really striking for me. Um, I think that that is um, indicative of the current state of affairs between continentals um, and other Africans in the diaspora and ourselves. Um, It sounds like to me it's like a resource grab. But anyway, um, I think to your point that definitely um, one of the main things that that we had to overcome as people who were coming into consciousness is um, that negative view of Africa and Africans in general, which was strategic. Um, It was strategic that we were taught uh, to separate ourselves and also uh, strategic that we were taught to hate ourselves for for a plethora of reasons. Um, It is definitely paramount, but also, um, man, that that whole thing is just crazy. But also – I think that um, racial I – I don't even know where to start with this discussion. I'm sorry, I'm going to tell you. I just, I just have so many thoughts going around in my mind. Um, I think that the vast majority of Africans in America um, don't identify as African. I think there was a discussion earlier talking about how, um, you know, our history begins in America, and I think that's really dangerous to say that. And I think it's part of the reason why we can separate ourselves from that. Also, I want to touch on the discussion that was being so had around romanticism. Um, I can jump in real quick. Um, I'm, okay. I don't think I heard that statement. Um, so I want to okay. kind of clarify. I'm not saying I'm right, but um, I think I, I don't because I, I know I made reference to – I just made reference. I don't know if it was me or maybe even Sheffron, but I just want to clarify – I don't think that statement was made, so I just wanted to. When you say that's dangerous, I want to be which, clear that I don't think that was said. I just made reference to that. There's a meme that always talks about how our slavery, our, our history doesn't start with slavery. I did make reference to that, and I think. Chef oh no no no! Ran, I was thinking. Okay, no, ahead, either I can't remember which one it was. If it was Chef or if it was um, the caller who called in, but someone said, um, you know, Africans in America, we. All we we've been here for 400 years, and all we know is in America. We don't, you know, something to that effect. I can't remember exactly what was said. Yeah, I think, um, yeah and then also. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Queen. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'll let, I'll let Chef jump in, but I did, I think I heard something different than that. So I'm, I just so I just wanted to be okay. clear that um I didn't hear that reference in that manner. So I just wanted to kind of highlight that because I would agree that that's dangerous. I just don't think I'm mean, again. I just don't think that's that was the context that it was said. And and if you you may have heard it correctly, I'm just letting you know that I may have heard it. I think I heard it differently. Just letting you know that. But go ahead, Queen. Yeah, I think maybe it was a caller, but run it back. Run that run run that uh that funky track back. Let's hear it. But yeah, um, <laughs> the other the other uh, thing that I want to talk about is the the um the discussion around romanticism, and I think that it's a really important discussion because um, you do have those two extremes of people who either romanticize African, everything is all good, and, you know, um, I made a funny meme on my page the other day. My husband and I had a discussion about um, African autonomy and what's happening in his country, Nigeria, right now, and um, the gross misappropriation of funds and how the economy serves the elite and people are suffering there. He can't even go home. It's really bad. But... um, it's either romanticized or it's demonized, and it is dangerous. I agree with that, but I'll also say 
that um, I think that that, rom- that romanticism is a swing of the pendulum. When you have such an upset mm-hmm. in history where people mm-hmm. are um, enslaved and, and get, yeah, and, 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 and exposed and, uh, to that sort of thing, um, you don't just come back to the middle. You go to the complete it swings, that pendulum mm-hmm. swings all the way back, and eventually it comes back to the middle. Um, the period of romanticism is necessary in order to see yourself as human. See, I agree 100 percent. That's, that's, that's my absolute personal journey. Um, in my early 20s, I romanticized the shit out of anything black. You know what I'm saying? Uh, everything black. Uh, due to realizing, again, thanks to this very thing we heard with Malcolm in that cut, realizing that that was my reality. Like, I can psychologically, like, I can psychologically remember my own process to for example, just to highlight this example, process to loving, beautiful, dark-skinned women. Like, I think there's nothing more beautiful, and I felt this way for over 20 years of my life. But for the first 15 years of my life, you couldn't have, you couldn't have paid me to say that about a dark-skinned woman. And so I agree with you, Oshun, that it was the romanticized period that let allowed me to, in a sense, lose the mental chain of everything black is bad. Like there, you know, like people know, and I, they hear the cut now from. I, I, matter of fact, if I can find it, I might even play it on this show where where Martin even talks about having black pride, and he says, and he has a uh, a speech where he says, well, somebody told a lie one day. Everything black was bad, and everything white was beautiful. And you know, just mm-hmm. hearing him say that in that cut. That's that strategic stuff that you're talking about in a sense of not seeing ourselves as who we are. As you said, romanticizing it just to see ourselves as human. Definitely interested in what Chef has to say about this. For the callers out there, you do have to press one if you're trying to get in on this morning's discussion. All right, Chef, your thoughts when you hear myself and Oshun um, agree that um, there, there has to be a romanticized period if you – I would say for somebody, for the most African-American, like the other, the broader experience that you talked about, Chef, right? Like you grew up in a, a home where maybe that wasn't necessary for you, but for, the, but for those like who went through my experience and subconsciously, you wasn't always consciously aware that you didn't see yourself as whatever, you, you know, as, you, as human, if you will, but subconsciously not realizing my, Malcolm said, my dislike for Africa was really a dislike for myself unknowingly. So for somebody like myself, can you appreciate that the, 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 I have to, I had in a sense to go through a romanticized period to ever even come back to the middle. What's your thoughts on that, King? Oh yeah, I totally agree. You know, I I totally agree with that. Um, and and Malcolm, he was great at pointing certain uh, psychological aspects out, right? And I think he he was speaking to the psychology of um, mm-hmm. you know, m- media manipulation, right? Of mm-hmm. um, of uh, and the view uh, of Africa, right? He grew up in the thirties and forties. So he's talking about, you know, how, you know, the betrayal of Africa that was, you know, given to him. So, I mean, us having more um, African consciousness than probably they did back then, and and you got to think the places that he grew up at in rural Indiana and different places. So his education and and his early upbringing, he's definitely speaking to a a perspective uh, that you could identify with more. Saying that you grew up in a 
place where it was only twenty mm-hmm. percent. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So yeah, you would definitely um understand exactly what Malcolm was saying and, and what a line of that uh um heavily. But he was definitely on point. Now I would say that I would totally agree with everything that he said. Um think African Americans should uh um have a more positive view on Africa because our general features of beauty, you know, our contour of our our um faces and our bodies all come from, you know, Africa. So mm-hmm. if we don't have a, a positive perspective on that, at least, you know what I mean? The mm-hmm. the, the identity part of and and um self esteem you know what I mean? There's no way that you can look at Africans and down them when most of our features are generally the same as Africans, right? I, 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 now, there's there's differences, right? And there's a spectrum. But for the most part, if you look down mm-hmm. on African features, right, um, you're actually looking down on yourself. You're, you're talking about the things about yourself, you know, that you don't like, right? When, 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 mm-hmm. when, when, when Africans well, even in our families, right, and I don't want to be long-winded, but we point out the most African features of those people in our family, like if the darker people in our family, right, even when, when we're growing up, we make jokes, right? Now, this don't have nothing to do with Africans, but it shows that we point to the most dominant African features and we make fun out of it, mm-hmm. right? So that, yep. that's in turn the same thing as joking an African. Even though we do it amongst African Americans, we always joke the the most prominent African features, and we make the joke out of that. We talk about each other hair when when we joning on each other, right? Mm-hmm. The more curlier your hair is, that's gonna be the joke, right? The 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 broader your nose is, that's gonna be the joke on that person. The darker their skin is, that's gonna be the joke on that person. You see what I'm saying? Now, Absolutely. So, so yeah, when like we do that saying. to Africans, yeah, when right. we do that to Africans, Africans feel like we're we're saying no, we do this to each other also. Yes, you, know, you see what I'm saying? We no, do this absolutely. to each other also. No, so, no, so strong point. We up against the break, brother. But now nah, that's a beautiful point. Right. I want to yeah, I want to jump into that um, even more coming out of the break. I love how you said that. That at the end of the day, even when we wasn't thinking about Africa, what we pointed out was uh, subconsciously showing how we view the, the continent. And like you said, even the African um, immigrants, if you will, that come to this country, they wouldn't, they wouldn't understand that, unfortunately, we're doing that to one another. And it's, in a sense, not just them, but to your point, it's the African features that we were downgrading. I definitely want to hear Oshun's mm-hmm. thoughts on that coming out of break as well. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. Have you heard about that podcast, Mental Dialogue? It's so good, it should be illegal. But if you miss the live show every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, be sure to catch replays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all other streaming platforms. We are the return of Intelligent Radio, and we are the best in the world at having hard conversations on race, sex, gender, and business in the African-American community. And remember, all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? 
Yes. And I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit. And what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still know it's me. Because I look like money. Smell like money. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Oshun Ojo. This morning's discussion question, does it matter how African-Americans psychologically view Africa? Our special guest is Sheffron L., his brother's in the barbershop. We're getting through this thing with us, so definitely appreciate him uh, getting through the discussion while working. Um, but with that said, um, Oshun, I feel like Sheffron brought up an amazing point that gets directly into this discussion now, the psychology of it. Uh, and now we're talking about the subconscious unawareness of the things that we joned the most, as he, as he said. That's what we called it, too, joning one another. Uh, this is absolutely how I grew up. That the, the things, uh, you know, and Malcolm said it in, in the cut we paid, you know, we hated our noses and all these type of things. So we will point out the most African thing about us, although Africa wasn't on our mind. And it, and it, and it, it absolutely, we know, let's get into the psychology of it, uh, you know, that, that quote, we, you control the images, controls the mind. And so uh, the, the beauty standards that we always talk about when it comes to us, in a sense, loving ourselves or we get into colorism and, and not, not defining ourselves by the quote-unquote beauty standards that we saw pre- propagated in the media, all these things ineffectively moved us away from our Africanness. And so when we ask this question, does it matter how African-Americans psychologically view, view Africa? So even without knowing, we were psychologically affected just by the way we joned one another, if you will. Your thoughts, Queen? Yeah, we we all did it. We all did it. Um, again, in my family, I was fortunate enough to be raised in a family that my my parents and the the adults around me really attempted to um, get me to value African features um, without saying they were African. I remember my, that my aunt, I remember sitting out in the sun trying to get darker because I remember my aunt going on and on about how beautiful this dark-skinned person was. Look at her skin. She's so gorgeous. And she would, they would do things like that so that us, us children, that, that we heard it, you know, so that mm-hmm. we would internalize that. But what it did was make me feel like because I'm a little bit on the lighter side, I was like, oh, I got to be, you know, I'm not cute. But as I got older and I went into school, definitely I heard those things. Um, dark skin, especially for women, uh, was unacceptable. It was considered masculine. Um, even though we didn't associate that with Africanness per se. Uh, but, yeah, it is the, the root of it. The root of it is anti-blackness, anti-Africanness, and we were all born, raised, and bred with it. Um, I remember a joke, like all the jokes, you know how we would do, do the your mama jokes? All mm-hmm. of them were centered around anti-Africanness, all of them. Your, ma- your mama hair so short, she can roll her hair with rice. Um, you know, your mama's so black, so-and-so, whatever. Um, so our, even our basic um, uh, jokes that we told as kids that seemed like they were harmless were reiterating those European standards of beauty um, and thus internalized hate 
it's horrible. Yeah, Chef, I'm going to let him, you kind of had to, I was cutting him off on that comment, so I want to let him finish up his thoughts and reference. You're the one that brought up this, this so important, very important point to this morning's discussion. So um, go ahead and finish your thoughts, King. Oh, no, I, I was pretty much, um, I, I was pretty much finished, but it, it, it was leading um, to the um, question or, you know, the comments that Malcolm X uh, was making. Um but I, I do think in that um, history is uh, I, I think it was always a, a balance, right? Even with that, because even when you talk about the times that Malcolm X had grew up in, his parents was actually Garveyite, right? And Garvey was, you know, they his mother wrote for Garvey's um, newspaper, mm-hmm. so he, he had a balance. But let me say this. Um, we had mentioned um, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois earlier before I even got to speak. Now, he has a great perspective on this and the souls of black folks, if y'all ever read that, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. in the opening, the souls of black folks, he talked about the two selves, right? And he mm-hmm. talked about how, you know, basically this conversation that we're having right now, he talked about it in 1900. He wrote about it extensively, and he called it the two selves. And he was saying how that African Americans are born with double vision, right? Like he mm-hmm. knows that he's not an American, right? And he knows that he's not totally African, right? So he dealt with this, you know what I mean? And, and it, it's good to uh, go back and read that. Because he, he grew up in a similar situation that you did, Montoya. He went to school, and he lived in an area where he was the minority, right? So he was dealing with his own sense of uh, two-ness or, you know, double consciousness. But I yield the time back over because, you know, I had No, I love it. Man. I love it. Yeah, the double consciousness. Um, that's such an amazing mm-hmm. thing to talk about. Is I'm going to make reference to, you know, some some out of that book, too. And it's just to give some... Some it's kind of uh, I'm gonna kind of go on a little tangent here, but I think it'll be related when you start thinking about the psychology and that concept of the double consciousness or whatever. I mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely recommend that people read that um that that classic, you know, uh, Souls of Black Folks, and he's absolutely right. Um, you know, W. Du Bois in the late 1800s, you know, said that the the issue of the century would be the you know the color line, if you will, and here we are almost. A century and a half, you know, over well over a century still dealing with this, if you will. Uh, but I just, and again, I don't know if this directly relates, but I just think it's just a tangent that that helps with again thinking about the psychology. Um, w. Du Bois, as you said, did grow up in a neighborhood in a sense similar to mine. He was doing he was doing okay to a degree. Um, in, in comparison to a lot of other African Americans at the time, and they were in a neighborhood that, to a degree that was thriving. And um, I remember, I don't know if this was specifically in Souls of Black Folks, but again, having read a decent amount on W. Du Bois, and I remember him talking about, uh, in a sense, where he was from, the, the people that were looked down upon the most, even though he was black in that neighborhood at the time was when it was like the Irish was just first coming here, right? And when the Irish was coming and immigrating to America, I think, and I may, I hope I'm not confusing points in, in history or whatever. So I don't know if this was after the potato famine or whatever there, and a lot of them were migrating to the Americas. Uh, but, I, you know, there was a longstanding feud between the English and the Irish, if you will, right? And, and 
the English, in a sense, already established in the country. So a lot of Irish people were coming here. And so W. Du Bois said the people that were looked down upon the most in his neighborhood were Irish. Uh, they were, in a sense, in the lived in the bad neighborhood, lived in the ghettos. And so a lot of people don't really even know the, the, the history of, in a sense, how the Irish were looked at for a long time when they first came to due to the, the feuding within the, the European culture, if you will. And so he felt like he lived better than the Irish did for years. And so he, 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 he really struggled with, you know, in a sense, getting out of his own relative um, upbringing to go see how blacks lived in other places similar for him, similar to how he had seen the Irish live. So just something, you know, kind of deep in my opinion that again, just speaks to the psychology of in a sense, when you, if you've been oppressed or brought up in despair, I've, I've always make this comment, humans kind of respond to those circumstances all the same. So getting into the psychology of how we see ourselves quite often in this country, we will put race on something that humans do. And we will look at it as this is what blacks do when this is just what humans do under similar circumstances. Any thoughts on what I'm saying there, um, Oshun? Yeah, um, I, I need to revisit that um, that W.B. Du Bois um, Please do. publication be because I haven't read it in a long in a long time. Um, yeah, that whole double consciousness thing. And then didn't France Fanon do something about it too? Like uh, black black skin, white mask. Oh yeah. Um, and the whole yeah, and then the whole um, idea that you're living immersed in one culture and trying to identify with a different culture and fit and assimilate and, you know, not being able to, it's a really interesting predicament to, um, to be in. And it's really interesting too, that we are revisiting this because you said that um, W.B. Du Bois wrote that article or, or wrote that publication. When, what year was it? Uh, more than a hundred years ago. And here we are. I think it's 1906. 1906. I think if I remember, I may be wrong on that. I can, actually, I got it by, right next to me. Let me find out what year it was published. But yeah, early 1900s. At early 1900s, and then here we are having the exact same discussion. I just wonder if it if this is just because the one thing that I want to say too, and this is unrelated to this particular discussion, but um, when the when the brother said who called in, you know, uh, we have a 400 year history in this country, but we it, but we have millions of years of history collectively. Um, 400 years is a blip in time. So I'm just wondering if, like, it's to, to me at this point, it seems like we are um, re- rehashing discussions that have been have been being had for more than 100 years, 200 years probably going back or even more, and we're still having the same discussions. Is it, is it just because um, this is just the nature of the thing because of how long, um, you know, the wound occurred, or is are we just not doing the right thing to make progress in this? Because we're still experiencing the exact same dynamic um, today. No, that's a good question. We're actually at the top of the hour and got a caller. Actually, I was wrong. It was actually published in 1953. I think I was making oh, reference 50. to, yeah, when he, I think I made reference, I was to make a reference to a quote he made in the early 1900s, but the actual, according to this, yeah, originally published in 1953. We definitely like to try to get our information correct. Oh, no, the, the Soul of the Black Folks wasn't in 1953. Soul of the okay, Black Folks was in early 1900s. Okay, okay. I'm going yeah, by the book that says originally published New York 1953. I don't know if it's like maybe some version of it or something. I'm just looking at the book here. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, I may have that. 
But uh, yeah, according to this book, it says originally published in 1953. I thought it was early 1900s too. So um, maybe maybe it's this particular version or something. Uh, we are at the top of the hour. We've got a couple of callers that want to get in. So we'll get the callers in when we come out of break. This morning's discussion question, does it matter how African-Americans psychologically view Africa? We'll be right back. Where all I ask is that you think. The number one branders in the universe is the United States. They made the United States seem like it's the best place in the world to be. It's the land of the free, home of the brave. I go there to find and chase my dreams. We have to be able to tell our own stories. Directors, filmmakers, entertainers, it's going to be clearly, and the press, it's going to be your job to redefine how people think about Africa. Because I can tell you right now, in Chicago alone, there's more people dying in Chicago than there was in the war in Iraq. But you would never see that. There's a lot of things that's happening in the U.S. that you would never see because they choose to show you what they want you to see. For No one puts their family business out into the street. The, one of the problems we have in Africa is that when something happens, the press is quick to put out negative energy and quick to put out a negative story. And then that story goes on to Internet and other broadcasting systems take it, and they post it. So when you look at places like Kenya, for instance, that I know of maybe, what, two terrorist attacks? But it was everywhere. So now people were afraid to go to Kenya because somebody shot up the mall. But then when you look online, there was over 25,000 attacks in the U.S., but you only knew about maybe five or six. You get to the point where you think Africa is just a big jungle. The images that they're showing of Africa is historical images. This is way before civilization. This is when they were still, you know, battling with spears, like times of Shaka Zulu. 
No, I'm serious. But then when you look at the U.S., they're showing Superman, Batman. You know? Where is our Superman? Where is our, like, Shaka Zulu should be a superhero today. Really? So we have to tell our own stories. I mean, even Jesus is white. And you believe it. But it's okay because how you were framed, if you taught something from the day you were born, and your mother taught you that, your father taught you that, it's real. You never look at your mom and your dad as liars. But their mother and father taught them the same thing because that's the kind of history that's put out for them to believe. Our history books in the U.S. is all white American history, culture that's been borrowed from other nations. But Africa has to teach the same history of our ancestors, the great things that they have accomplished. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Oshun Ojo. This morning's discussion question, does it matter how African Americans psychologically view Africa as we hear an amazing cut from Akon speaking to um, some conference some years ago um, somewhere, um, I don't recall the country, uh, but speaking to fellow Africans, just talking about his experience coming to America and pursuing the land of gold and honey, if you will, and just saying, hey, we got to tell our story, saying that to his fellow African brethren, and I agree 100% in the sense that it's, in a sense, controlling the image that has since come out of their countries. It can definitely help, in a sense, Africans on the African diaspora, in a sense, see themselves in a way that, again, not always consciously aware. Uh, I think, again, I think Sheffern's point earlier about how we even pick on one another really points to we were affected, whether we recognize it or not. But we've got a couple of callers. Brother P.F. wants to get back in as well. Area code 571, last three, 237. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Hey, good morning, uh, King. This is yeah, brother Emil, how you doing out of the D.C. area? Hey, what's up, King? How you doing? You, you know, if you get to go on hot, hot like fire, I'll keep you on the thing. Go ahead, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the the to to answer your question, it's not even an opinion; it's a fact. The answer is yes. Uh, the, we need to know our history from the continent. How we view ourselves is linked intrinsically with how we view the continent. No other ethnic group in America is disconnected from its history the way black Americans are. Now, we have people who come from Jamaica and people who come from the continent, and they're connected to rich histories. But people who are American descendants of enslaved Africans, because my people are not slaves, they were enslaved by someone, the American descendants of enslaved Africans do not have the direct connection to their history that other groups do, every other ethnic group does. And why is that? Because we have an enemy who, for over 400 years, is systematically and continuously assaulting our ability to know who we are. Why? And this is the part that we always forget. There is a control that must be exerted over black Americans in order to maintain their social position. That power never goes away. And, in fact, if we stop thinking that there's an enemy, we miss out on the fact that the enemy himself is morphing and changing to adapt to our adaptation. We're not in a vacuum. 
We're not simply black people trying to figure out who we are. We're being assaulted every day for the purpose of keeping us under a specific form of control. And that control is known. It's throughout our history. We have formal laws from the federal all the way down to the local level that kept us in a certain social position. No other group of people has had that range of law arrayed against them to keep them in that social position. Not the Irish, not even the Chinese, as much, as, as much hell as they took uh, with uh, the Immigration Act of 1884, among others. Mm-hmm. Even they had language and culture and history that directly connected them back to their home. No other ethnic group has this problem. So when we talk about do we need or must we or how we look at being connected to Africa, not only should we, we must be connected, and it's the only because we need to know who we are. Yes, we need to know about the Biafra War. We need to know about what happened in um, Zimbabwe prior to the um, freedom from Ian Smith's Rhodesia and all the things that the Ndebele did to the uh, Shona or the Shona did to the Ndebele how Robert Mugabe was. You need to know what Mobutu Sese Seko did because of the uh, tribalism in Congo or Zaire at the time. We need to know about what, the, what happened in Rwanda between the Hutu and the Tutsi. We need to know the ugly and we need to know the beauty. We need to know every aspect of who we are so we can make decisions about how we go forward as a people because that disconnection is empowering our enemy, which is why they continually, as Akon said, portray us from times past, darkest Africa, black Africa, right? There were civilizations flourishing, dying, thriving, reborn multiple times over before the present, significant presence of Europeans on the continent, before the significant presence of even Islam on the continent, flourishing, thriving societies, and then dying and being reborn under new kings and new queens. We need to know all of that, and we need to be connected to it because being disconnected empowers our enemy to keep us, control us in a social position of servitude and slavery. Strong, King. A lot of good stuff. Let me um, throw this out. I'm pretty sure Oshun is resonating with everything that you're saying based on the, 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 how I know this queen. Um, you know, I like to play devil's advocate from time to time, and it's just so that we can go a little a little deeper. And so – um, I resonate a lot of what you said. I think you and I maybe even had this discussion before because um, we definitely talk about being how, unfortunately, to a degree, uh, we can't quite often can be unaware of how, in a sense, things morph. And so, therefore, it's harder to find them or see them ha- coming at us, if you will. Is it possible? just want to see what your thought, thought is on this, and I definitely want to hear Oshun as well. Um, is it possible that while we understand that that for the most part, the United States was founded on, if you will, um, racism, if you will, or founded on, uh, you know, in a sense, taking out, uh, exterminating an entire group, if you will, or whatever, the United States that we know today, right? So we know that it's founded on that. And as you said, these long-standing laws that other groups uh, didn't experience it to that degree. Again, long-standing laws. I mean, had to basically come to a civil war, if you will, just to quote unquote get rid of slavery, if you will. So, knowing that long history, is it possible that these, in a sense, things are systematically interwoven to the point where the narratives continue without a conscious level of control? 
I I'm of the thought that the that the controlling is 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 in a sense not there because the world has become global. There's not a lot of time spent on the controlling, but the narrative plays out because of what the country was founded on. Um, I, I think you understand where I'm going or follow me there, but what are your thoughts that I think because the world has become global, there's less concern with, in a sense where we stand in society as a black community, which I see that as opportunity. If we know sense of selves, we can actually learn things and navigate the current <clears throat> current um, landscape much easier than when there was a, fo- a focused control on where we stood in society. What are your thoughts on that, Emil? So I agree with you to a point, but I'm going to remind you that laws in Texas, laws in Georgia, and laws across several of the formerly Confederate states are, mm-hmm. used, are being used to shape how black people can exert their political power. There's a concerted effort by those state legislatures in mm-hmm. former Confederate states in order to limit the political power of black people. They don't put the word black in the law. They just put all the conditions right. around blackness into the law. So those types of things are still there. There's still a bias in institutions, whether in colleges or finance or uh, corporate America, that um, prevents black people from matriculating to the highest levels and and gaining the um, benefits of their presence as productive members of, of a society. There's still those institutional barriers. So is it a concerted effort? No, because they have institutional inertia. They don't need to put the word black in like they used to. They don't need to redline neighborhoods anymore. They just police in certain ways in certain neighborhoods versus So let me, let me dig in real quick for some nuance. We've got about a minute, minute before break. So for I'll, sure. get to, I'll get the brother Piaki out of the break because I don't want to cut him off. So here's the nuance. I, 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 I'm following you 100%. So the, the, the systemic inertia, the systemic narrative is, in my opinion, why we see the pushback. So I think it becomes important to understand that the, the, the control is not there. This is the narrative playing out due to, now you got to go all the way back. You know, I would, now we're talking about primary, going back to primary school and how the system raises up this thought process. So I'm saying the narrative kind of cr- plays itself out in a subconscious manner that we see these pushbacks, whereas the pushbacks are a play out on the narrative. It's not, and, and, and because there's no longer a conscious focus on where we stand, that still gives us opportunity if we can make that distinction. Because these narratives started with someone making a conscious effort to put them in place. I don't, I think that that's what's not there any longer. Any thought, you see what I'm saying? Like that, like knowing that distinction makes it better for us to play. If that's better for us to, in a sense, assert ourselves, if that makes sense. I hear what you're saying, and in, 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 like I said earlier, in some ways I agree. I just think that it's it's not it's not cut and dry anymore because it doesn't have to be. It's, there's there's been yeah, a significant there's been a significant change in in our society. In fact, white the whiteness that we once experienced has been diluted because of many factors. So we can say that. But I'll say it this way: Black people are still fighting a war against those forces that have shaped how we see ourselves. Those forces 
although they are not consciously arrayed against us like they were prior to the 1970s. Those forces are still shaping how we see ourselves. They're still shaping a conversation that W.E.B. Du Bois initiated uh, but didn't start. Uh, didn't, he, he captured it in his book, but he didn't start the conversation mm-hmm. about what color is acceptable and why we have this double consciousness. All of nah, those makes factors. Sense. We up against the break, brother. I'm going to keep you on. I'm going to keep you on. I'm going to keep you on. Let me go to the break. We're still fighting. Yeah, let me go to the break. I'll keep you on, though, brother. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Oshun, coming out of the break, I want to hear your thoughts about what we were just talking about, just so you know. Are you trying to figure out your next income stream? Maybe get into cryptocurrency, real estate, or maybe even start your own business. If so, contact the KG Hire Company to receive a professional consultation or strategy session to provide you the advice you need to get a jump start on your new venture. If it's a new business, there's nothing like having a business consultant review your finances, strategy, or marketing. If it's real estate, the KG Hire Company specializes in evaluating deals for profitability and securing special financing for creative real estate acquisitions. If it's cryptocurrency, then look no further than the KG Hire Company to master the components of blockchain technology and investing into cryptocurrency serving atlanta since 2016 the kg hire company is an industry leader in customer experience and getting your money's worth contact them at kghire.com or 833-544-9288 again that's 833-544-9288 Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Again, I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Oshun Ojo. This morning's discussion question, does it matter how African-Americans psychologically view Africa? Oshun and our special guest is Chef Ron L. I want to hear both of their thoughts, too. A lot of what Brother Emil uh, out of the D.C. area brought to the table, which he brought a mouthful. And, again, I was just being, playing a little devil's advocate, but I'm very interested in how you – in a sense, heard that dialogue, and we still have him on as well to kind of maybe respond to what you get, what both of you may have to say. But go ahead, Oshun. Thank you for being with us this morning. I guess I want some clarity around, uh, Montoya, what your your okay. um, idea is around covert racism versus overt racism and how that affects us. Um, I think that um, what I heard, and I may be mistaken, is that what you're saying is that um, because the racism is not so overt, we're in a more powerful position um, as black people in this country. Is that is that what you're saying? Um, I, I would simplify it to that. I, um, I, 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 the, I think overt racism is less important. So for me, it's not about the overt. I what I what I'm mm-hmm. trying to point out is. The things that are that are that are very systemic, right? Like it's hard to disagree that they're systemic stuff, right? But what I'm trying to point out is that the people that consciously put the systemic stuff in place, because of how this country was born, if you will, I I, I think in a sense they've died off. The systemic stuff has continued systematically to the degree that. There is not a conscious effort, in my opinion, of people who are focused on our community. Some of the beliefs come from the teachings of this country, and so people may maintain those beliefs. But people are not in place, in my opinion, putting things, in a sense, creating 
a, a Jim Crow again, or are these things are they in place or powerful enough to do something to us that that would could easily be done in the past? I think sometimes, in my opinion, that we we, we maintain those fears without recognizing how global the world is becoming, and there's less focus on keeping putting those things in place. What we're living out now is the systemic stuff that just creates the the, the racism and oppression that we face. I hope I'm giving some clarity. Oh, no, I disagree with that wholly. No, <laughs> no I don't ahead, agree with that at all. Yeah, go ahead, I think, Well, I think that, that you're right in saying that um, racism um, and structural racism is more passive. Um, but I also the, – the thing is, Montoya, is that um, – this is in their DNA, just as well as this is in ours. Um, the people who put those, you know, definitive laws into place, um, these these people are the descendants of them. They have uh, 600 years of history. Uh, it's in their DNA. And the brother spoke about even laws being enacted today that prove that, which is true. Like, you know, the whole critical race theory thing is a is an overt suppression. They're saying we you you will not teach that we did this to you. You will not teach about, they, they removed like uh, 200 black people from history books in Texas as part of the bill. Something that's like passive and like, oh, that happened a long time ago. They're still doing it today. I just, you know, the American Indian Act where they're saying, where American Indian children, um, where they, they got the treaty that said, you're not, you're not allowed to take possession of our children anymore. As far as CPS, they're try, the state of Texas wants to overturn that. And so I think that they are actually um, revisiting if anything, um, it's, instead of being passive and, and it's just trickling down, they're revisiting those laws of old and trying to reinstate them. Now, strong thoughts. Let me share this one thought. Um, I want to hear Sheffern's idea on this. And so, um, I, I don't. I don't want to sound as if I think, in a sense, I'll say it this way, just to, to try to be, have, be clear. I don't think that the entire oligarch has died to the point because I absolutely very well. We did the critical race conversation where we talked about it, that the fact that Texas is absolutely doing that. I, I do know, for example, here in Georgia, um, the, the governor here, for example, Governor Kemp was a, a, a lot more slick in how, you know, you know, when it comes to, for example, playing these political lines to bring, which I, you know, don't like to do a lot of politics, but to bring politics in, involved, like the way it was handled in Georgia and the way that it was handled in Florida, like that Texas absolutely is a direct attack. attack. They want to remove these people from history. But the way it's been handled in Georgia and Florida, which, you know, are, are you know, white governors, if you will, they're handling it in a way where they won't be able to do that in Georgia and Florida. And that example for me just shows that there's even a battle amongst, in a sense, if we say that's what they want to do, and then I got two states that handle it in a way that, that goes against what Texas is doing by white people, I'm saying that old oligarch is dying out in the sense that they're able to exert power fully in that way. A hundred years ago or fifty years ago, every state would have just handled it the same way Texas is trying to handle it, and and and, and there are definitely consequences to. Let me be clear on because I'm trying to give the whole picture. There are big consequences to if Texas is successful with that bill being passed. Uh, I know it was up maybe two months ago, so you may know if it's passed or not. But I was hoping that it got shot down because a lot of people don't know this. Here's the bigger picture. For you know, just to again try to give the whole picture. So some of the states close to Texas, they didn't have to put it up in their legislation because here's something that happens that a lot of people don't know specifically in the South. 
because Texas is going to always be the largest book buy when it comes to buying textbooks through throughout the schools, a lot of states close to Texas, they just buy exactly what Texas wants because it makes the books cheaper for all the schools. So Texas has huge influence on how, what's taught in schools. So I am with y'all. I see that. I talked about it on the Critical Race Theory show that if that passes, that is an issue. So I do know that, and again, in a sense, that there are people, you know, for it. I just don't know that it's as collective as it used to be. Um, Sheffern, if you could get in, and I'm going to go to Emil, then we're going to get to Brother P, B, Brother Piaki. Let me bring Sheffern back in. Again, he's, for those that are just now tuning in, he's in a barbershop, so we, we're keeping him muted until we bring him live. All right, go ahead, Sheffern. I know we've said a lot, but I'm going to let you jump in somewhere, and then we're going to go back to the caller real quick. Oh, yeah, that was it, it was a couple different uh, topics that y'all just went over. Um I, well, I, I want to say, going back to a previous point, um, because we glossed over it, I think the okay. brother from D.C., the brother from D.C. was saying, um, uh, you know, how important it was, you know, for us to learn, you know, African history. Um, well, I would say African-American history um, is more pertinent, and I said it before, than learning African history. Um, now, but I'm not against learning African history. I, I think we are totally uh, different people now in America. So learning our, our history that directly, you know, speaks to our experience is the best history to learn because it teaches us how to navigate in our current society, Right. Um, history is supposed to teach you how to navigate in your society, right, the world that you live in. Um, I, I think um, that by way we, we are connected to Africa um, a little bit more closely than the rest of the world, but I think African history is just world history. think you can study African history in the same vein that you study the history of the world. Um, I, I think for the most part, um, African Americans learning African history was a way for us to see um, that people of African that African people did great things um, and, and it fights against the narrative that uh, that people um, that we descend from or you know Africa, Africans in general was behind the rest of the world so learning African history at one point was a a way for us to um, see that African people wasn't and and is not inferior. But for the most part, I think African-Americans learning African history um, can be put in the same way that we study any other history. It's world history. Let me me, me break this this real quick because I want to move us to where we're at now. So Mm -hmm. I think, and and Emil's on this line, so he can, you know, I'm just trying to kind of move this point along. I think when you're hearing even Emil say it or myself say it, Jefferson, I think we're saying it almost like what you just said, meaning we're just saying pointing out to learn it versus, generally speaking, American black children specifically don't get to learn it. I remember in high school, I took an advanced placement world civilization course, and literally the teacher was going to skip over what was clearly in the book. She was not going to cover it, but due to my consciousness, 
I end up forcing the class. I'm the only black kid in this class to have to cover a section she was going to skip. So that, so to your point, that that is how it should be done. And I think Emil is just saying knowing these things will remove us from thinking, like you said, that is a backward country or that we're inferior. I think all he's just saying is make sure that we know it too, which is all you're saying. Uh, did you want to make a point about what we're currently talking about? Or I want to jump back to Emil. You can go back there, Emil. All right, sounds good, brother. I know you're cutting hair as well, so thank you for those thoughts. Emil, jump in, brother. I'm going to let you defend yourself. I'm kind of jumping around for you now, so I'll let you kind of get in here and defend yourself. But go ahead, King. Thanks for coming on this morning. Let me see. I might have, I need to bring him back live. Hold on one second. Let me bring him back live. All right, Emil, we got you back on. Then we're going to get the brother Pierre after you. Oh, thanks, King. So what I, I'm going to emphasize that no other ethnic group in this nation is cut off from its its home the way African Americans are. We yeah, have to be important. very conscious about that. It yeah. isn't just like if you go to Sabbath school or Shabbat school with uh, with a Jewish family, they go back through American history and they go through their Jewish history back to four thousand, six thousand years. They don't mm-hmm. put a break in and say, "Well, this is just part of world history." Chinese kids don't do that. There is no ethnic group that just summarily says we're going to cut off mm-hmm. our history at 400 years and say that the rest of it is blended all together with, no, it's us, us all the way back from antiquity to today. If we don't do the same thing, we miss out on the richness of our history. And to the brother's point, uh, African history is world history, which is why it's even more important that African-American mm-hmm. children learn our history here on this continent and then go back and see how we seeded all of the great civilizations across the planet. It's not enough for us to say that it's all blended into world history. We are world history. We're the ones who initiated so many great civilizations across the planet. We need to know that and know that there's a direct line from 2021 to the antiquity of our ancestors and how they shaped the world itself. That is just as powerful to me as learning who Benjamin Banneker is and Elijah McCoy is and who uh, Ida B. Wells is and who Phyllis Wheatley is. I love it. Those are all the same. There's a direct line from antiquity to me. And when I know that, I'm empowered by that. The longest and greatest history in human history as the originators of humans. I love it. I love it, King. We're up against the break. We're going to let you go. We're going to go straight to Brother Pianchi coming out of break. All I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, Pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still know it's me. Because I look like money. Smell like money. 
African slavery had existed for centuries in various forms. Some slaves were indentured servants, with a limited term and the chance to buy one's freedom. Others were more like European serfs. In some societies, slaves could be part of a master's family, own land, and even rise to positions of power. But when white captains came offering manufactured goods, weapons, and rum for slaves, African kings and merchants had little reason to hesitate. They viewed the people they sold not as fellow Africans, but criminals, debtors, or prisoners of war from rival tribes. By selling them, kings enriched their own realms and strengthened them against neighboring enemies. African kingdoms prospered from the slave trade, but meeting the Europeans' massive demand created intense competition. Slavery replaced other criminal sentences, and capturing slaves became a motivation for war rather than its result. To defend themselves from slave raids, neighboring kingdoms needed European firearms, which they also bought with slaves. The slave trade had become an arms race, altering societies and economies across the continent. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. Our special guest is Sheffron L., as well as my special guest co-host, Oshu Ojo. Got Brother Pianchi on the line holding until I will go directly to him, so we'll get his thoughts in as we heard a cut. Um, that we again want to get into the psychology of how we see, in a sense, uh, Africa, if you will, as well as our brother and brother, fellow brethren and sisters uh, on the continent. And so the cut brings up another point that we want to get to. But let's get to um, Brother Piaki as well as um, Brother Anks on the line as well. We'll get to him as well. All right, Brother Piaki, give us your three cents this morning, King. Well, you know, I was going to say this. Uh, people, you're not going to have those varying degrees of, of history taught in public schools. They just don't do it. But I say this, some states, especially Missouri, <clears throat> their state statutes say that uh, whatever you want your curriculum, textbook, and textbooks, uh, your instruction material be is up to the local community. And those black districts, those people got the right to put whatever they want as far as textbooks is concerned. Mm-hmm. Now, will they are they doing that? I don't think they are. And you know the way schools are diverse now. We have one high school in St. Louis that have Serbians and Bosnians who fought a vicious ethnic war just here recently. So you couldn't talk that in those schools because you have a war worked out in the classrooms all over again. But I think, as I said before, you know, and you know, you talk about the boys. The boys was the ones that sick the FBI on Garvey. He said that Garvey was the enemy to the Negro race, per se. And you know, it just, uh, it's just, you know, you have to look at the uh, human beings. You have to look at them in a three hundred and sixty degree paradigm. Absolutely, you just can't look at one side. He said, without doubt, the most dangerous enemy of the Negro race in America and in the world, he said, of Garvey. So it's a lot of things that you're not told. And as time go by, you're not going to be able to teach that in school because there just ain't enough time in the day. But there's nothing stopping people from doing it in the, in the grassroots, in the local mm-hmm. community, in the churches, and so on and so on. As I said before, it, it should be looked at as people – of the human race in the world. 
No, I appreciate the thought. I, I, I agree with you on that, um, Brother Trang. If I could say that, I'll definitely want to hear what my guests have to say. And um, I, I agree with the timing issue or whatever. So that's why the one thing that I do press upon for any of the truth seekers that listen, that it, it becomes necessary to net to supplement at a minimum your black child's education so that they are navigating the world with the proper esteem, knowing that they came from something. Like, again, I love what Emil, the caller, what he had to say. And, and so I think every black child should know what he had to say, but I'm not putting that, like, kind of to your point, Brother Pianchi, I'm not necessarily putting that on the school system, but as parents, I, I love the fact that O'Shun and Sheffron were raised where they, 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 they didn't have to overcome some of what I had to overcome because I wasn't exposed to enough of, um, you know, of people that looked like me. Literally, you know, I, I loved Daniel Boone and Jimmy Crockett as a kid, and again, you know, and there's nothing wrong with loving them, but I, they shouldn't have been my only heroes as kids, you know what I mean? And Lone Ranger was my favorite hero for years or whatever. And so um, the, the thing that I do love about, you know, being living in Atlanta, and I, I've, I've, people have heard me talk about the idea, idea of insulation, is being in communities where uh, that's not what's happening. Parents do buy books where the kids can see themselves. You know, my, my mother didn't have an opportunity to necessarily do that, so I'm not even putting it on my on my mother or anything. I'm just talking about the difference and being conscious about it, similar to what Emil said. And I hear that in Pianchi's, um too, that you can't expect the school to do it, but we can do it. So I love those thoughts. Um, Oshun, um, go ahead, Queen, any thoughts to what you're hearing? Before I go to um, Brother Uncle on the line as well. Um, yeah, a couple things. Um, the first one is that um, the question about um, a history of, of African Americans in this country since we've been here uh, versus African history, I just want to point out that for me in my house, there isn't a competition in that history. They're both equally important. One is not more pertinent than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just saying that there's a, a huge lacking in African history and a connection to African people for um, people in the diaspora, and that's why it's really important. And and also to say that Pan-Africanism doesn't require of us that we deny our tribe or our nationality. I understand fully that Africans in America are our own tribe. We are our own people. We are our own identity. We're mm-hmm. we're every, just like Jamaicans are, just like uh, Dominicans mm-hmm. are. They are, we all mm-hmm. have our own history and our own right. past. Uh, right. You don't have to deny that in order to be a Pan-Africanist. Uh, you have to know that still, uh, despite our our path, our our uh, path to get here, we share a common history and a uh, a common um, future as well. Um, I love it. Oh, go ahead, Queen. Somebody said, "I'm sorry." Go ahead. No, 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 no. I didn't know. I thought you were done. I, I, yeah, I want you to finish. Oh, okay. Yeah, please finish. Yeah. So, also, uh, the brother who was just speaking was talking about there's no time um, to learn about this in school, and that really struck me because. Um, you know, uh, white history and European history and what happened with white people in history is non-negotiable, is a non-negotiable part of the curriculum in school. They make time. And that's why it's so important for us to have our own schools. We can't be – part of this is uh, the discussion around being self-determining. And um, one of the major points of, of being self-determining is, number one, controlling your own media. That speaks to the point we were talking about earlier, about these images that we're seeing of Africa, the uh, the, the bad news that we get about all the other places and the good news you get about America, you don't hear about shooting. Control your own media. Control your children's schooling so that you don't have to have to choose and say, of course we supplement. Of course we ha- we're going to have to supplement some. But there should be there should be no reason why we're saying that um, uh, African history shouldn't be the norm for our children. I think it's very important that we have the discussion around um, controlling our children's schooling, c- controlling their curriculum so that every – black child has access to this information. It shouldn't be something that's supplemented at home, and maybe they do and maybe they don't. Um, and then also, Montoya's last thing is is that um, 
I wanted to talk about, if we have time, you talked about um, uh, Georgia, the state of Georgia and some other states kind of um, going yeah, against what Texas can we, yeah, can we, can, yeah, can, uh, If we're going to get into the politics, <laughs> I wanna, can I get to the caller okay. real quick and no we'll come back to that? No and I want to be yeah, I want to be fair to uh, what Brother Fianchi said about having the time. He's saying having the time to talk about all of history. He wasn't just saying, like, even when you say what, even even white history that's taught in school is selective in what it teaches. So he's just talking about, you know, that understanding all of it is a good thing, but just don't expect the school system to have time to cover all of it. He, and it's not, he's not talking about just particularly black history. He's just saying history in general. So I just understand how he was saying it. And, yeah, it's, you know, every every curriculum is going to be limited in in being able to teach the whole scope. And um, But I do agree with you 100%. Um, the reason I focus on supplementing is, is due to the fact that you and I both know that the majority of our black children are not coming up and in, in school systems that are controlled, uh, even the brother Pianchi offered in St. Louis, the way they could they have an opportunity to control it lo- locally, so they could do exactly what you're saying, Oshun, because it's in legislation for them to do it. And he just said he's not aware if people are doing it, but if they're in the know, they have no excuse because their legislation is set up to do exactly what you're saying. So pretty cool, and 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 knowing that that exists, other communities where there are a majority of us can actually set that up as well. We can take control of local politics. So it all goes hand in hand, and I know you know that as well. But, I just again, I just wanted to be fair to that comment. It's just the idea of covering all of history. No school curriculum can really do that. Um, let's go ahead on with Brother Unk, who's trying to get in as well. Go ahead, um, Brother Unk, you're live on the line. Uh, how you doing, Brother uh, uh, Montoya? Shout out to Chef uh, Rennell, founder member of the Pseudo Killers. Uh, shout out to Brother Pianchi. And uh, uh, shout out to your lovely uh, co-host. And I'm I'm really uh, feeling the conversation. I think there's some points that y'all might have touched on, but it's valuable to kind of add a little bit to it. We talked about uh, African history. No one expects Chinese to know the whole of Asian history. No one expects Europeans to know the whole of European history. And at no point should we expect to know African history. Uh, Africa is not one homogenous place. Normally, when African-Americans talk about African history, they're talking about Egypt, okay, and then they're talking about West Africa. Even within those areas, there are different ethnic groups with different types of history. So it would be an impossible task in school to actually pull that one off. It really really makes no sense. We understand that race relations in America is very, 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 very complicated. But one thing I do know as African-Americans, we got to set up schools for Saturdays, right? I was raised in the Jewish community, and they actually had Saturday schools. No one is expected to know African history in school. It really doesn't make sense. What makes sense is, is we take personal accountability. Pianchi talked about playing a role in the PTA. Like you can actually donate to schools. How many people know that? We can actually have textbooks in schools. So we really want to fix, we want to fix it, right? But we don't want to do the actual work. So it's going to be work for us to actually donate money to So why you say we don't have want to do the work? Textbook. I can jump in and ask you that question. Why you say we don't want to do the work? Where, 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 where do you get that? Where do you get I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just want to know how you've determined that we don't want to do it. How did you determine that? I'm not saying you're wrong. I just want to understand how you determined that. Because And the reason I'm asking because that question, don't, to give you a little more context, is um, and I'm not saying this is an excuse, but sometimes it may be an awareness could be the issue. And, again, I'm not saying we will or won't. 
I was just figuring out how did you figure out that we don't want to do that work? What, what makes you say we don't want to? Well, well, because we haven't shown it. To do the work with understanding exactly what Pianca said. I understand that. You understand that. That we have to put up curriculum. We got to put certain monies in. We got to be dedicated to it. We're dedicated to other things. And so the statement is, we need to learn this. They need to keep it. That. That's, not, that's not reality. The reality is that people themselves determine what they need to do. And so the work is understanding that, first of all, Africa is a vast continent, that there's no one homogenous group. We, we, we don't even get that. And I think that's valuable to at least understand that. Egypt mm-hmm. is not the only place in Africa. Like, it's the largest place, on, it's the largest continent in the world. So there's no one African people. There has never been a time in 350,000 years of homo sapiens sapiens history that Africa has been unified. That's not, that's not, even, that, that's not even remotely going to happen. So the, so the fight for goals like that don't make sense, don't add up. And so we now, need to do the work. Just be clear on what you say. I'll let you stay on after the break. I just want to throw out that I don't think, you know, Shun, you can correct me when we come out of the break, but just to throw it out, I don't think, I don't think we've, we've, we've even mentioned the idea of unifying, just to throw that out. But, you know, if we did, you know, I'm fine with that, brother. But I just want to throw out that as so far, we haven't even conceptualized the idea of unifying. Because, again, we're just talking about the psychology of understanding the continent, where we're from, and how it plays a role in the psyche of how we see ourselves. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think we've visited the idea of unifying, just to throw that out. But uh, we all against the break. I'll definitely let you back on after the break. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478-781-4860. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478-781-4860. LNG Technologies is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. If you have a product or service you want to get out to the smartest audience in all of radio, absolutely give me a call. Find me on social media on IG at mental underscore dialogue or on Facebook at mental dialogue. Definitely want to make sure we're getting any black-owned businesses, services, and products out to a community that's looking to buy black. So I always say it's buy black. It's revolutionary. If you're an individual and like what I call the return of intelligent radio, we definitely can use your support. You can go to mentaldialogue.com and become a a supporter if you're outside uh, of Atlanta. If you're in Atlanta, then we ask that you consider the the membership. Um, You can be a member outside of Atlanta as well, uh, and you'll see the benefits at mentaldialogue.com. Scroll down and say become a member. And you can make sure that Intelligent Radio stays on the air. Speaking of that, and we still have our brother Uncle on the line as well. I want to get, want to hear Chef, um, our guest, um, Shepherd's thoughts to some of what brother Uncle had to say. Uh, but in listening to to what he's talking about, the idea of what I what I just threw out the idea when he says we don't want to do the work, 
Um, I always kind of allude to, in a sense, like even the sense how I see the role of what we do on mental dialogue is that there's that we now finally, due to the internet, we have in a sense this this groundswell of influencers or people that are trying to, in a sense, take to the airways, you know, in order to be able to speak to our people, and so. I, in my opinion, I want to hear what you think of this as, as well, Oshun, but in my opinion, because we haven't had been in a position to broadcast or speak to our people well enough, then there's a lot of people that aren't, haven't even been told you should be supplementing. And so a lot of parents literally just rely on the school system to, to in a sense, allow their black child to, to matriculate. I'm not a fan of it, but I'm also aware that, believe it or not, a lot of blacks haven't thought about that coming from where I come from, for example. Uh, I, I, I have to live around us. I have to be in Atlanta based on my former upbringing. But when I go back home, some of the things that we're saying on this show are foreign to the people where I'm from. And that's a reality, and I have to be aware of that. Um, in my opinion, in raising the awareness, I think to a degree sometimes you might see that action. But also where I'm from, and this is why I always recommend insulating, is – the numbers are hard for them to pull that off. That's why I would tell them to all up and move to Atlanta so we can get more numbers here or move where there's other places that were already aggregated so that we can have more control, local control, like Brother uh, Pianchi talked about. Let me jump on, let Sheffron get in here, and I want to hear Shun's thoughts, and I still got Brother Unk on as well. All right, Sheffron, any thoughts to some of what you're hearing? I know I'm throwing, kind of going a lot of places with it, but your thoughts. I know you're in the barbershop, so whatever you can sneak in, we'll, we definitely appreciate your three cents, King. Oh yeah, I, I agree basically um with a lot of what um um just said. Um I think he, he hit the uh the nail right on the head, but he did bring up um a point that we wasn't discussing whether um you know, who wanna do the work. No nobody mentioned, you know, that wasn't even a part of the um the the, the discussion on you know but he definitely brought it up and it is definitely a part of the um it should be a part of the discussion but i would say like he said that africa is a huge place and i think outside of the african experience i think outside of the african experience that the african-american is his own cry right and that outline i'm gonna keep saying that our history here is the uh the most per- pertinent. I think but I'm, the I'm, let me ask you, Jeffrey, why are you why are you focused on that when the discussion is does it matter how African Americans psychologically psychologically view Africa? And so you've even agreed that when we played the Malcolm X cut, you even agreed mm-hmm. that the way we saw ourselves negatively was due to how we saw Africa. So I don't know why we're trying to put a degree on which one is important when we're when the discussion is about how we fail to see ourselves as we need to see ourselves due to the negative negative imagery of the continent. And so if that's important, figuring out which one is more important is kind of futile in my opinion. Oshun, your thoughts. Again, I'm just giving my thoughts to the the continuous reference to which one is more important. And I think you've already said that too, um, that it's a continuum. So I don't understand the focus there in reference to what we see. Right. You you cut me off. Yeah, I did. Go ahead. And then you, you you went to old show. I I can answer it because, like I said, the reason and I said it 
the reason why African history was focused on uh, by, you know, um, earlier generations is we, was because of our self-esteem issues, right? But what I'm saying now that we are American, right? So it, it should be looked at as world history, right? The same way we, we should be able to learn African history the same way we learn any other history of the world and not anything. I think that's where okay, so brother, that's brother, and brother, stuff comes in. I want to go to soon. Go ahead. I want to go to soon. I'm going to cut you off because you're focused on history. I'm focused on the psychology of how we see ourselves. You're focused on... But that's what I was speaking to, though. Yeah, but here it is. Listen, listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. I, Nobody suggested pedestaling anything. You're, you're bringing that to the table. We're talking about the psychology of how we see ourselves as African people. I think Oshun gave a great example of how she was embedded and got the self-esteem she needed in her community, and they didn't even talk about Africa a lot. So, But she never had the negative view. So that's, in my opinion, the psychology of why she's able to move in the world with the esteem that we would want all of our children <clears throat> to have, and she did it without pedestaling Africa, and nobody suggested it on the show. So I'm just kind of, and I'm not just trying to fight you, I'm just highlighting the psychology that we're trying to discuss is not focused on which history we should focus on, just throwing it out to you. Any thoughts, Oshun? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think um, we went over the whole discussion about um, how romanticism can be harmful, but also um, probably the necessity of that romanticism has in our healing. I think going back to the point of the show, which is the psychology of how we view ourselves, I think um, um, it it's it's just, undeniable that we know that when you, when you are proud of your um, your history and your common source and you know yourself, um, it, it, it gives you a path to where you are going. Um, so to that end, I'll just reiterate that I think that it's, it's hugely important that um, black people in the diaspora, not just in America, but in America specifically, um, have a realistic but also positive overall view mm-hmm. um, because yeah, of of Africa, of the continent, of our history, of even though they're, you know, you said the good, the bad, and the ugly, all kind of crazy things happen. I touched on this before that not just historically crazy things are happening, but today as well, because I touched on mm-hmm. this. My husband and I were having a discussion about what's happening in Nigeria and and mm-hmm. the romanticism that black people in America have where we say, oh, if we had all black police officers, if we had an all black government, everything would be mm-hmm. all good. But we have mm-hmm. the Caribbean in Africa that says, uh, right. no, that's not the way that's going to work. So, yeah, um, I agree with everything, yeah. everything that you said, Montoya. Yeah, yeah, it's just a great thought. And, again, it's just challenging that I want them to hear you and even myself as, again, focused on the psychology of how our children see one another, that I, I haven't heard you offer one history over the other. or Like, that's not been part of the dialogue in referencing to how we psychologically see ourselves. I do I definitely want to um, – bring um, Brother Unk back to the table so as I told him I would. So, uh, Brother Unk, for the other callers out there, you do have to press one if you're trying to get in. We only got a few minutes left on the show. Um, go ahead, Brother Unk. We got you back on, King. Yeah, I, well, okay, I don't want to be the dead horse, but I was trying to figure out the title. How do we psychologically see ourselves? Like, that's that's not even, that don't, that not trying to be funny, but that don't, that don't even make sense. So, uh, I think you're trying to say the, 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 the psychology of 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 the African American is that basically what you're saying is what is our, right. our our psychology and how does that how does that affect the way we perceive Africa 
let me let me speak to that. So 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 you say yeah, you say so what? I, yeah, just to clarify one more thing. So the question is very broad. So it's not specific, but it is about. It says the question is, does it matter? That's what we're discussing. So I, you know, I wasn't brought up in, for example, the way Shefflin and Oshun was brought up. So I had to go through the psychology of even being able to see myself, like Oshun beautifully said in the beginning of the show, as human. So there's nothing, we're not talking about whose history we know and nothing like that. It was just the psychology of what that meant for me as a child. The, the best thing that we can give our black children is the esteem they need to navigate the world. And I think we, we may have to realize, to my, to, to my, in my opinion, to Emil Bryant's point who called in, realize that knowing some aspect of what we come from, what role it will play in our ch- child developing in the current world. So I hope I'm making sense, but it's the psychology of how our children see ourselves. Does it matter that they have a good view of Africa? Because if we don't supplement, if we don't teach, I don't think we get good views of Africa in general in this country. Your thoughts, King? Yeah, so I realize that that's not even important. So what needs to happen in the that's not a, What's not important? Is to what's have, not important? Uh, having, having any type of view of Africa. What's really important is having a, an understanding of view of who you are in the world we're in. And that's what I got growing up from my aunt to my uncle. I, I, didn't, I, I wasn't even around history buffs. So what I did do is I had a profound respect for myself and my family and who I was as a human being, as a person, but not only as a human being, but as a black person in America. And, and that's the part that moved me forward. Later on, those things that we're speaking on, you're going to catch up to it. Once you're socially aware of who you are and, and your experiences in America and how those experiences were clearly different from those who kidnapped us. I use the word kidnapping to be clear on what I'm saying. At no point did we look at ourselves as slaves. That's the Eurocentric viewpoint. African people were kidnapped and enslaved, still dead at an early age. And understanding no, that's that, cool, brother. I got to let you go with the dynamic with the of how the show. So I do have to let you go. I do have to let you go, brother. Um, but I definitely want to um, make this real clear. So I respect that you think that's not important, but I do agree with Emil that every other culture in the world makes sure that continuum is known. We are the only culture that has that, that unfortunately doesn't know that continuum. And so I think it plays a role in why, for example, the, the doll test did just a decade ago still effectively black children majority still with choosing other cultures for what was beautiful or not. The psychology is important in my opinion. Oshun, um, definitely um, give us a quick thought, and then I'm going to let um, Chef from as our guest give the final thought. Go ahead, Queen. Um, just, you know, to reiterate, the clips that we heard from uh, uh, Baba Malcolm X and uh, Dr. John, John Henry Clark is that um, it, it has been collectively understood for all humans throughout history, that um, the way that you, that you view yourself um, in current day and your circumstance, we don't exist in a vacuum. Um, the way that you view yourself current day, the way that you view other people around you are all based on historical context. And so our, the history of who we are as a people as far back as we can go in recordable history um, is paramount to us in the way that we, that, we, that we view ourselves and the psychology of the way that um, we view ourselves in the way that we go forward. Uh, absolutely. Um, Shefra, you are the guest, so you got 45 seconds to give a final thought. we got to get out of here. Go ahead, King. Okay, so 
Oh, my bad. Good show. Um, I, um, I enjoyed the conversation. I, I think I got my point out, and I think everybody else was able to get their points out. Um, so I hope your um, audience enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. How, do, how, people, how people can stay in contact with you with um, um, Pseudo Killers? Got 15 seconds. Oh, subscribe to Pseudo Killers on um, YouTube. Yeah. Um, matter of fact, we're going to go over this discussion because uh, I know, man, I feel like we ain't fully get our points out. So, Montoya, you know how to get on our show. And everybody else can come on later. We'll uh, throw a show up and uh, continue the conversation. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. See y'all next Saturday. Thank both of you. I'm sure you were excellent. Um, Chef, you were excellent as well. See y'all next Saturday. All I ask is Jesse Fish.